For centuries, mankind has seen objects in the sky. For every report they've made, those who have claimed to see unidentified flying objects have been mocked and brushed off by skeptics. But with the advent of modern technology, those sightings have now been recorded, and some have been released to the public. Were the U.S.'s most elite pilots witness to a visitor from another planet, or was this merely an encounter with a highly advanced Earth-based foe? This week's episode is Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. In the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed You'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood the second week in a row we've had some throwback references to some bands that we both used to be into <laughs> there's a man i love blink 182 and i had a blue sony cd player and i was listening to enema of the state and great, there's a thing great about, album it's so good it really and then is. i'm, I'm pretty sure there's a part where he says something about fuck my neighbor's dog or humped his neighbor's dog but I was singing it out loud in the way bitty back of the Dodge Caravan as my parents were, you know, my mom was driving, my dad was in the front seat. I'm sure we were coming back from some restaurant and they were talking and I'm, they, God bless them, because I have headphones in and I'm singing off key Blink-182. And when I that line came up, my dad's like, Heather, what did you just say? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, what are you listening to? And I had to show him the CD, which, of course, I'm pretty sure is a pornographic film star on the front yes, in a nurse's costume. Mm-hmm. He's like. And he's like to my mom, like, what are you letting her listen to? And I'm sure it said parental advisory, explicit lyrics in the bottom left corner. Yeah. Every time. Were you allowed to listen to the ones with the stickers on them? I don't remember being told I couldn't. Mm. I think. I don't I don't know. That's a good question. I doubt that it was um, encouraged, but I. I don't think when I mean, I was older when like that came out so like my first cd ever was the bodyguard soundtrack <laughs> i'm pretty sure that didn't have parental advisory on it no no it's like parental advisory hard yeah Give yeah, yeah. A lot of get ready deep for emotions. your kid to be real horny um <laughs> and then also michael jackson's dangerous i remember i got okay. those like right around the same time i also don't think that one did but I do, like, when I was in middle school, I started getting into, like, rap and everything, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there were times then when I got a talking to. But also, we would just go to the mall, and I would just buy things. So I probably just bought them and came home and just had them. I I doubt I asked my parents, like, hey, can you go get me the new two live crew? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or anything like that. Some of the CD places too were loose. Like they would yeah. just it had the printer that you were obviously not eighteen and you're still hell no. Like, and it was when CDs came in those big ass plastic cases yes, that were <laughs> so ridiculous. I don't even like know the size of a tennis racket. Yes, it was gigantic. <laughs> I don't know if it was to prevent people from stealing them. I think so. Very uh, not not planet friendly. It was not green at all. <laughs> it was just no. all this excessive plastic that was unnecessary. Uh, plastic on plastic with a plastic sticker yes. and a plastic insert. That was also oh, yeah. when you could buy just um, cassette singles. Yes, I remember I, I just remember. had like November Rain, the single. 
That's it. For a kid in my third grade class, uh, it was his birthday party, and I was like so cool to get invited because I would play poker with him and the other cool kids, like the ones that would like always get sent to the principal office. And like I got to go to his birthday, and so my mom took me to Walmart to buy him a present, and I bought him the CD single of Mo Money Mo Problems. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. But it was the non Walmart refused to carry non parental advisory records. Or, like, parental advisory records, so it was the bleeped-out version. Oh, yeah. And so I, like, gave it to him, and he was so excited, and then he was like, oh, man, it doesn't have the sticker on it. I was <laughs> so embarrassed. But his mom was the sheriff, and she was, like, glad. She, like, gave me a nodding. Oh. Good. I'm glad you... But, man, I was... You got I the felt parental... Like such a you didn't loser. get the parental explicit lyrics, but you got the parental approval, which is <laughs> really what matters in the end. Sheriff Moore. She appreciated Aww, that. Sheriff Moore. Well, we're talking about Blink-182 because lead singer and former guitarist of the band Tom DeLonge has been in the news recently because of his involvement with some recent videos that have been released that some say proves we have life on other planets. Which there is a Blink-182 song called Aliens Exist. There is. He's been into Aliens, I imagine, since he was very young. But um, even quit quit being in the band to to follow that sometimes you quit one dream to follow another heather you know that's true there are he argues that he was trying to do two things at the same time which was pursue his alien passion and do a i think he wrote a couple of novels that had to do with like aliens and he's written some kids books too and then wanted to write music that accompanied the novels, but the new contract in 2015 for Blink-182 was so restrictive that he wouldn't be allowed to do that. Mm. So it would be like if me and you were like, well, we have the new Sinister Head contract, but you cannot do a comedy show with anybody else. Like, it was like, well, we're, we're in the band, we're doing the thing, but they didn't want him also to make his alien music, and he was like, <laughs> I will die it's first. Like, I'm making quit. my alien music, so... Uh, peace yourself. out yeah he yeah. now does that angels and airways Airway. which is mm-hmm. music and video and kind of like a whole art thing going on with aliens mm-hmm. and stuff so yeah that is what we're going to be talking about this episode so i'm christy i'm heather and let's get into it in 2017 the new york times published an article covering the advanced aerospace threat identification program or ATIP. The article featured details from Louis Lou Elizondo, who ran the Defense Department's $22 million per year program. Proof of the department's existence was hard to find. That is, until Lou came forward and spoke to the Times. According to Elizondo, during his time in the ATIP program, they focused on two questions for encounters with unidentified aerial phenomenon. One, what is it? And two, how does it work? This is like a bombshell article when it came out. Yeah. Also, those are just good questions to ask about anything you don't understand. (laughs) What is it and how does it work? Any a door handle, a car when you turn a car on. I imagine that's what everyone's asked themselves about something that they saw for the first time. An (laughs) oyster. That's how babies work. (laughs) (laughs) That is. That's how Ella works every single day. (laughs) You hand her something and she's like, what is this? What is this? How does it work? I got two questions. The program began 10 years earlier, according to the Times, with funding from then-Senate Majority Senator Harry Reid, a lifelong space enthusiast. The funding was so-called black money, meaning government funds were being used for purposes not widely known. Only two other senators knew about the program, 
including Ted Stevens, a former Air Force pilot who claims to have once been tailed by a UFO while flying transport missions over China in World War II. I bet when you're up in the government like this, you have to, it's almost like a secret handshake to be like, do you believe too? Yeah. Are you also a believer? Because hopefully now it, that will become less stigmatized. But Harry Reid's like, I'm a space enthusiast. But also, are you really just a UFO enthusiast and you're trying to cover it up? Yeah. Space enthusiast seems like a mild way to say, I believe in aliens. Because yeah, you sure. don't want to be considered a crackpot, which is what a lot of people are. I mean, mm-hmm government or or non-government people like that's something that people think is like makes you kind of a crazy person if you believe that there's life in other planets personally i think it's kind of crazy to think that we're unique and special to this planet and nothing else exists in in the world in the galaxy very arrogant galaxies far beyond our galaxy that we have no idea even what they do yeah. True. And they're like, I know everything. My favorite was the theory that was like, aliens came and they were like, you're too stupid to interact with. And I was like, that's fair. <laughs> they may have. I mean, yeah. Who's to say that aliens don't walk among us all the time? I mean, do you consider an ant when you walk by it? You know, you're just like, it's fun doing its thing. You just keep walking. Good point. Yes. To ants, we're giant aliens. That's it's right. All, it's all subjective. How you, Relative, how yes. you view other things. Yes. A large portion of the funding for the program went to Robert Bigelow, a billionaire and UFO enthusiast and personal friend of Harry Reid. His company, Bigelow Aerospace, conducted research in the Las Vegas area, including examining metals alleged to have been taken from crash sites, as well as in-person interviews and examinations of people who alleged to have had alien encounters. Although funding for ATIP ran out in 2012, Elizondo continued to work with the CIA and Navy, essentially in the same position as he had been as director of ATIP. But in October of 2017, Elizondo resigned, protesting that ATIP was rife with excessive secrecy and internal opposition. He gave up his promising government career in an effort to do what is right and did so with an eye toward fixing the system from the outside. Excessive secrecy and internal opposition. It sounds like any government operation. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that was the thing about this program is that a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money goes to the Defense Department anyway. So Harry Reid being like, we need to earmark $22 million for, you know, a project. Sometimes, you know, that doesn't get line item. Like, they don't notice and the money just goes. And then when it runs out, it's like, well, now who's in charge? I don't know. Are you are you still that guy? But it sounds like as we go through this, ATIP was used in these instances and we're the ones that it's like who are you gonna call a tip yeah sorry ghostbusters it's a tip now sorry. that's who you gotta call that same year former blink 182 singer and guitarist tom DeLong created the to the stars academy of arts and sciences one year prior DeLong had left blink 182 in order to have more time to dedicate to studying and proving the existence of ufos with his organization now up and running he appeared to be one step closer. Lou Elizondo soon joined DeLong's efforts as the director of government programs and services to the Academy. They're quite a duo. They are. This website is the board of directors and the staff and everything is they're quite a team. There's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a stacked it's lineup. It's very stacked. Like everyone has, they list everybody's credentials and I was reading through it. Very impressed with the type of people 
that are willing to be involved in something like this because it does have this stigma attached to it. Definitely. And the their show, Unidentified, the, the way they operate is they go in with like an investigative attitude very much. If they they get a report from somewhere, they're not like, well, it's definitely an alien. They're like, OK, what we have to do is rule out the five reasons why it could be, you know, why it could be something else. So they do a very scientific professional approach. You almost have to disprove it in order to prove it, which That's is pretty how much what they try to do. work. Yeah, you should always like with ghost hunting or anything, try and disprove it. And then if you can't explain it away then maybe it's not explainable. When asked by the New York Times how DeLong became so accepted within the ufology community, coming from his wild rock and roll background, DeLong explained, I had to be really respectful about what I was saying and how I was saying it. I think because all those things, I earned trust and I earned more meetings. It was a process. It did not happen overnight. It took me a couple of years. DeLong said that in his Blink-182 days, he was working with collaborators to investigate the history of UFOs in the United States. He says that he is an expert on the subject, having literally read 200 books on the subject and insisting, I don't spend my time looking at UFO reports or talking to little green men. That would be fun, that's though. Fun. I was going to say, that's, <laughs> I thought that was why you, one gets into ufology is to talk to little green men. If I'm given the opportunity... To talk to a little green man, I think you should take it if you're dedicating your entire life to this. Every time you say yes, you say yes, you take that meeting. Every time. If a little green man asks you to take a meeting, you take it. I don't care what else you have going on. You drop it and you go to that meeting. Clear your calendar. DeLong told Paper Magazine that he became so entrenched in the UFO research that he was considered a threat. Specifically, he had his phone tapped. For quite some time. He also believes his insider source, who was providing him with information at the time, was being tortured with the same technology we use to find oil underground. Supposedly, the insider was being awoken in the middle of the night with clicking and buzzing noises that caused him to fall on the ground vomiting every morning at 4 a.m. Oh, that's a hell of of a way to wake up. (laughs) So you just be drunk. Yeah, or you just had uh, one too many... I don't know why B-52 shots were the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> it's aviation. It fits in. Per- or perhaps sense. music related. That's true. B-52s you know are That's good. Aren't those the ones that are like butterscotchy? I think so. I think it's like schnapps. Is it butterscotch schnapps? Maybe. I, man, back in the day, I could do shots like they what were going shot? out of style. I really liked the shot for a long time. Anytime I ordered it at the bar that we would always go to, this was back in college, the bartenders would just be like, really? Because it was such a bitch to make. But it was called Sex with an Alligator. And it was <laughs> so good. I can't even tell you what was in it. But you had to, they, it was three different liquors. And they had to pour each one over the back of a spoon into the shot glass because it layered it. And it tasted, oh, cool. it tasted like a gummy bear. So you could just Ooh. down them. And, you yeah. know, they were so good. I also like Jameson with the pickleback. That's a big go-to. Oh, okay. Used to shoot Crown a lot. Ooh, that'll leave a film on your tongue that you'll taste for several days. Yeah, I like lemon drops. <laughs> Apparently, I like a lot of shots, I guess. You know what? You're, they're efficient. Yeah, that's shots true. Shots are efficient. That's true. What about you? They get you where What's you're your go-to? Uh, well, I don't do shots anymore because yeah. they make me ill. Yeah, um, same. 
But when I was 19 and worked at Magic Time Machine, there was a bar up the road, now defunct, that would let us in, like knowing that we were not 21, because it was pretty much all the servers in Addison, which Addison's like a little uh, kind of a suburb of Dallas, but just filled with restaurants. And so it's a ton of restaurant workers. So we would all just go there and like tip really big and they would not charge us for our drinks. Barely. I mean, of course, now it's out of business. But I was... 19 so i had no idea what to order and i had gone to a bachelorette party as like the designated driver and a friend of mine ordered a royal fuck oh yeah and that was royal fuck what is it crown cranberry and peach tops i think so yeah and um so i would order those and i thought it was so cool dude i was drinking crown royal and i was 19 <laughs> yeah. like no yeah oh that was my tongue was always red yes from the royal cranberry. i forgot about royal fucks yeah, those Man. are good too. Man, I want to be the person that names a new shot. Sex yeah, we need with an alligator, royal fuck. Who's naming these? <laughs> I love it. Royal fuck makes sense because you're royally fucked after you have a few. Sex with an alligator, can't explain that one. We need spooky ones like sex with a ghost. Ooh, yeah. Alien fuck. Alien fuck. Tom DeLong's favorite shot, the alien fuck. <laughs> the alien fuck. <laughs> well, in 2017 and 2018... DeLong's To The Stars Academy, along with the New York Times, released three videos taken by military pilots that many believe definitively proved the existence of UFOs. It was in this same article that the Times revealed the shadowy enterprise known as ATIP. The first of these videos, the Nimitz incident, occurred on November 14, 2004, about 60 miles off the coast between San Diego and Ensenada, Mexico. The USS Nimitz is a supercarrier of the U.S. Navy and one of the largest warships in the world. According to his interview on the Joe Rogan Experience, Commander David Fravor and his group were stationed there doing workups in preparation for their deployment. He had been the commanding officer for just a month, having taken over in October of 2004. The entire Carrier Strike Group, or CSG, was performing an air defense exercise CSGs are operational formations made up of over 7,500 personnel. They are routinely comprised of an aircraft carrier, at least one cruiser, in this case, the USS Princeton, a destroyer squadron of at least two destroyers, or frigates, and 65 to 70 aircraft. The Marines were participating as well, standing in as the, quote, bad guys in the exercise, where Commander Fravor's team was the, quote, good guys. It's like a scrimmage game. Yeah, exactly. You got to practice. You do. You, you got to. Pr- How else they, are you going to know what to do when push comes to shove? When disaster strikes, yeah. I, I'm. I hope you do practice so you know what to do when the shit exactly. hits the fan. They're ready to go. Later, Commander Fravor would discover that the USS Princeton had already been tracking the quote anomalous aerial vehicles or AAVs for about two weeks. The military prefers this term to UFOs due to the connotation the latter has with the public. According to History.com, Kevin Day, the Princeton's senior radar operator at the time, said he saw well over 100 AAVs during this time. Watching them on the display was like watching snow fall from the sky. Day and others had witnessed the objects flying up to 80,000 feet, a much higher altitude than military jets typically fly. The AAVs would then drop with incredible speed down to 20,000 feet for a few hours before flying back up and out of range. Initially, the Princeton crew assumed their equipment was malfunctioning, as that seemed to be the logical explanation. However, after verifying that all systems were in fact working properly, the crew was left with more questions than answers. 
You got a lot of buttons and switches and, and things going on, screens and whatnot. Absolutely. It's a lot to to manage, I imagine. And then oh, yeah. when you see something that you can't explain, imagine how creepy, interesting, and just like, I don't know. I mean, because your whole job is like science and logic mm-hmm. and figuring precision. things out. Yes, precision. And then something shows up that all of those things kind of fall by the wayside. And what are you left with? Most likely, you said earlier, they got to check them off the list of like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe it's a smudge. Maybe it's a, there's a magnetic, what, I don't, I don't know enough about. Just an uh, anomaly in the atmosphere or something like yeah. that. Or our, our equipment is malfunctioning and glitching and stuff. Yeah, you got to check all those things off the list before you just jump to. No, it's aliens. They finally come. So, it's finally Independence Day. <laughs> I was going to say, if you do that, then you're uh, Randy Quaid in Independence Day. <laughs> Independence Day is a great movie. And Ra- Randy Quaid's such Randy a Quaid character. is great in everything he does. I fucking love <laughs> Randy Quaid so He's much. He's kind of bonkers in real life, though. Yeah, right? he went kind of crazy. I think. I don't. I think I don't he know got what arrested, happened. and yeah, it turned a whole. We accidentally were on a conference call, a, a law firm wide conference call, which we have like so many offices. And my my favorite coworker did not realize that he had put his laptop on the activate microphone button. <laughs> so it was before the conference began, but all, I mean, they knew it was us. And we were talking about Randy Quaid and Independence Day and we were like quoting him and we were like, he went crazy. I'm like, oh, let me look him up on Wikipedia. And like, he got arrested and they extradited him. And we're all talking and some people were defending Randy Quaid. We're like, you're a Randy Quaid apologist. And then someone just went, Dallas, I, uh, I think your microphone's on. <laughs> we were like, dead silent. And of course, we all look at him and he's like, what? You guys didn't tell me. Did he so- get arrested for something like super bad? I-, I remember it happening. I think he's, yeah, I, re- I remember something happening, but I don't know. Because I don't know what he's arrested for. Now I hesitate to say I love Randy Quaid. Well, you I don't think it was Randy like Quaid. sexual assault type stuff, though. No, I think that they had like illegally it was something about crossing the border like into canada they had like vandalism charges no they wanted to stay in canada and so uh, they they like had charges in california that were felony charges and they were trying to get away from them so they went to canada and then when they came from canada to the u.s somewhere in like the far northeast i think they got arrested so it was something i mean i don't know what the vandalism was but i hope they weren't like painting something horrible on a church but (laughs) they you know they did. It wasn't like sexual. Yeah, it wasn't anything from what bad. I can tell. OK, good, good. All right. Cool. Yes. Well, typically the AAVs would only show up when the pilots weren't flying. So they had not yet encountered them physically in the air. On November 14th, 2004, that would all change. While the Marine and Naval pilots prepared for their training exercise, the mysterious objects suddenly appeared on the Princeton's radar. Fravor received word from the Nimitz Control that they would be canceling the training and instead would be deployed to investigate a real-world threat that had appeared on the radar even further out to sea. That's kind of horrifying, a training exercise. If They're like, actually, it's canceled. We see something. (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah, that's not what you were. I mean, I guess you're always on your toes if you're in the military and stuff like that. But they're over U.S. waters. They're off the coast of San Diego. They're not expecting something like this to come up all of a sudden. Not in the middle of a, you know, it's a regular day. Yes. The Nimitz control operator told Commander Fravor. Hey, uh, sir, we've seen these objects for uh, for two weeks. They've been coming down. We need you to go investigate. We want to know what these are. Commander Fravor and the remaining pilots then headed toward the UFOs in unarmed jets meant only for training. 
And he talks about this on the Joe Rogan podcast, why they sent them out with unarmed jets. And it was it's because in training purposes, they never are in armed jets because he said inevitably somebody gets the buttons mixed up and something goes off that wasn't supposed to go off. And he says it happens all the time. So they do training exercises with no weapon. And they even asked him before they sent them out, you guys don't have any weapons on board, right? And they're like, nope. And they're like, okay, cool. Go investigate this. I get why they don't have them because of training exercises. That is crazy to send them into a potentially threatening situation that you don't know what this is and total unknown. And they have nothing to defend themselves. That's got to be even scarier. And that's what you're... Asking yourself, what am I going to face out there? They're like, we've seen these weird things. And you're like, well, what are they? We don't know, but we want you to tell (laughs) us. Also, don't take a gun. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, what am I? I mean, I guess you're in a Hornet jet, so you just zip away if possible. (laughs) Try to get off. Yeah. I don't know. Wake up. What's that sound? No, no, no. Don't take the the baseball bat. (laughs) Yeah. Just go investigate that. I want you to tell me what the noise is. Don't put on your glasses or or shoes or anything. Just go out there completely vulnerable. Commander Fravor and the other pilots assumed that a real-world vector flying between Mexico and the U.S. was likely a drug runner. He and the wingman, the other jet flying alongside him, headed toward the object to confirm. But when they arrived at the coordinates, there was no object in sight. However, something from the ocean below caught their attention. Commander Fravor would later refer to it as a disturbance. In what were otherwise calm waters, there was an area that appeared to be churning, as if the water was breaking over something large just beneath the surface. Just then, Fravor saw the object they had been deployed to find, hovering about 50 feet over the water. I think from moment one that they see this thing, it does not act like anything they've ever seen. It doesn't act like a helicopter. It doesn't act like a jet. It doesn't act like a balloon. They're confused by the things that you look for. You're like, oh, maybe it's like like we were saying, you're checking stuff off the Mm -hmm. list. So then you get that pit, that stomach drop of like, well, fuck, yeah. what is also, it? Also, we have nothing to defend ourselves. <laughs> exactly. That, oh, that happened. Fly it in, into its face. And he said on the podcast that it was like a perfect San Diego day, which just side note, I love San Diego and I think that they have the best weather of any place I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. And he said it was just a classic San Diego day. Waters were like crystal clear, blue. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. So it wasn't as if there would be cause for wind to have the waves breaking or any kind of Mm -hmm. like movement in the ocean. And it just looked like this circular thing. Like if you see waves crashing over rocks that are underneath the water, like how it would have Mm -hmm. those like white caps and stuff. But it was in the middle of the ocean. So clearly there shouldn't be something like that. According to Fravor and others that saw the object, it resembled a giant tic-tac. It moved forward, backward, east and west. Commander Fravor estimated it was about 40 feet long. Initially assuming it was a helicopter, they looked for rotor wash, or the way helicopters kick up water when flying close to the surface. None of the pilots saw any rotor wash, or for that matter, any rotors. In a later interview while recounting the incident, Fravor recalled his thoughts at the time. It's white. It has no wings. It has no rotors. I go, holy shit, what is that? That's, that, you, you, that's your reaction. <laughs> I mean, anybody's yeah, you're, reaction. You're checking it off the list of like, oh, look, it's a helicopter. Oh, oh wait, no, it's not. It's a big ass tic tac. Yeah, oh, God. it's a drone. Who makes tic tacs that big? 
If the Tic Tac is that big, how big is the Tic Tac box that it goes in? Oh, man, that's a giant plastic little Tic Tac container. If you're going to get what a a normal Tic Tac container probably has like 50 Tic Tacs in it. Oh, man. 50 of these Tic Tacs, that's the size of a planet. Easily. That's that's maybe that's what they're from. They're planet Tic Tac, (laughs) where they're all about fresh breath and just nice little mints. It's a big plastic clear box, and there's only one way in and one way out, and it opens at the top. Yeah, it's a real bitch, though, because if you get inside and that thing closes, you're fucked until somebody comes back and, and opens it. And their their greatest threat is an even bigger entity that takes it and shakes it. <laughs> oh, man. And all their little oh. moons are just like um, little teeth circulating yeah. around, fresh breath. A big old tongue. Yeah, their, son. their atmosphere is just fresh breath, a wintry, <laughs> right. wintry breath, <laughs> a wintry mix. Yes. Oh, Commander Fravor decided to head down toward the object at a nice, easy descent. At roughly eighteen thousand feet, the Tic Tac suddenly made a turn and started ascending toward Commander Fravor's jet. Suddenly, Fravor found himself nearly parallel with the object, separated by about two thousand feet. The top gun pilot then pulled his jet toward the Tic Tac in an aggressive and fast fashion, finding himself nearly nose to nose with the object. But as soon as Fravor's jet would have been face to face with the bizarre aircraft, the Tic Tac was suddenly gone. It had seemingly disappeared and was unable to be seen on radar. All of a sudden, it kind of turns and rapidly accelerates beyond anything I've ever seen, crosses my nose, and it's gone, Fravor said in an interview with History. Even an SR-71 that can go Mach 3 would be visible for several seconds as it jets off into the horizon. Instead, the tic-tac that Commander Fravor saw disappeared almost instantaneously. You kind of think about somebody running away from you like a slow person. You see him for a long time, a yeah. really, really fast runner. You, it's quicker. But in this case, it's like like the flash. Yeah. He says on Rogan, it was just poof. And then it was there was nothing there. And that's... You've got to be like feel like you're going crazy yeah when he said too he's nose to nose with it kind of and then the wing man was still like twenty thousand feet above them so he they had like he called it a god's eye view and so the thing disappears and so fravor asked them hey did you see that leave and they're like no it disappeared like just as quickly so they would have been able to see kind of farther out based on their perspective and they couldn't even see where it went seconds later the tic-tac reappeared at commander fravor's initial rendezvous point 40 miles off the Nimitz, having not been detected on radar. Another Hornet jet took off towards the object to intercept it. The weapons operator, the pilot who sits in the back seat of the jet, attempted to set the onboard trackers on the Tic Tac. However, the onboard systems alerted the pilots that the unidentified flying object was actively jamming their radar. Yeah, they said that the response on the system is different from a passive, like, malfunction versus getting an active jam. Yes, like, their technology or whoever was operating that or whatever was operating that was intentionally trying to jam up their radars. While Commander Fravor was unable to capture video of what he saw, another pilot managed to track down the object and took video of it using a highly sensitive infrared camera. Normally, the exhaust from an airplane will show on infrared footage. However, the Tic Tac appears to be floating, with no exhaust propulsion visible. The infrared sensor also showed that the object was cold. All known propulsion systems give off an intense amount of heat. To be traveling at such a high velocity and not give out such heat 
indicates it is a technology not currently known by most scientists. Have you ever seen on YouTube or the television infrared videos of people farting? No. <laughs> they're so dumb, but they're very funny. But that's kind of what... Does it show heat coming out of their butthole? Yeah, it's like a puff of smoke, like a puff of heat. <laughs> I'm going to have to look this up because it's I have ridiculous. not ever seen this. And there, I think there's maybe like a Chappelle show sketch or there's some sketch where they talk about um, maybe like a thing you can put in your pants and it blocks the fart. Anyway, but uh, that's what they were looking for is basically a jet fart here. Yeah. They're look, you know, you would see that puff that would pop out whenever it would zoom off. And here it was zooming off cold. Yep, it was. He they held it in. <laughs> he didn't didn't Pin, didn't let it go. It, it was an you SBD. Pinch. <laughs> you pinch it off. <laughs> Hold it. The object continued to actively jam the radar, making it invisible to the Navy's radar system and only visible on the video. The video flashes between infrared and TV mode in an attempt to lock onto the object. But once the Hornet jet gets closer, the Tic Tac goes from floating motionlessly to suddenly jetting off screen leaving no trail of exhaust. On the Joe Rogan podcast, Fravor compared the Tic Tac to the F-22 Raptor, one of the fastest and most advanced aircraft in the world. Fravor said that going from completely still to zooming off at such a high speed is something that an F-22 would not even be able to do. So that's the most advanced airplane, and he says it's the best airplane we have in the world right now mm -hmm. that we know of, and... It couldn't even do that. So this is it, far beyond any kind of technology. And he's very high ranking in the military. So he said, you know, if things like this were going to exist, I think I would know about them. It's not like yeah. he was just a nobody, you know, just like brand new stuff. I don't know. I loved when he talked about his mother-in-law, who was always like, did you see a UFO? Yeah. Did you see one? And then finally, when he did, she's like, aha, you saw <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> she's vindicated. But he said he was a total skeptic. Like, he never would have believed something like that. This is not a person that's like, it's out there. Something's right. out there. This is a person that's like, just another job. It's probably a drug runner. Let's go check it out. And then you see, okay, there's 0% chance that a drug runner is in a highly powered technical jet that has no known propulsion system. Like, what the hell is that thing? Commander Fravor said that at no point was this incident classified and that no men in suits showed up, telling them not to talk about it. The report was taken by one of the 13 people on the ATIP team. All 13 people on that team were what are called FOIA exempt. FOIA, or the Freedom of Information Act, makes all U.S. government documents releasable under certain conditions. Because the ATIP team did the report, no official request for the documentation was made available through FOIA. And that's what he was explaining that if they're if it's made by ATIP, you call up the Department of Defense and say, hey, I want any documents related to the Nimitz incident. It's not going to be in the files that that officer, the FOIA officer can get to. And so they're going to go, we looked, there was nothing. Sorry. And then your request. It's not like your request is denied. They just look and they're not going to go digging around for you. But that's why it's important that, you know, you have whistleblowers like Lou Elizondo and, um, you know, Tom DeLong who are willing to publish it. I was going to say... Is it convenient that the government had the ATIP team, who were exempt from that, file the reports? Because then it's kind of a loophole where you don't have to say what really happened or make yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure 
they probably call like if there's weird shit going on they're like get the a-tip dude so we don't have to talk about it <laughs> then imagine it all the shit the a-tip dudes know i know 13 13 lucky 13 they all know some and, and lou elizondo was the director so he was like in charge of it and on the unidentified show He's still, I guess, technically, once you have government clearance, you, like, always do. And it's, like, maybe, like, a confidentiality agreement. Like, you can't, just because you don't work there anymore, you can't, like, go blabbing it. And one of the political leaders in Italy, they go out to, like, consult. And they're asking him questions. And he's like, I would love to answer that. But due to my security clearance, I actually can't. So it's like he knows a ton of shit. And he's just being careful about what he does and doesn't reveal and talk about. Man, what a job to know all of that. But what a horrible thing to not be able to share all that because, you know, you're just burden. biting your tongue all the time. Like, have I got a story for you? And you're like, nope, I can't tell that one. Ugh. The other two videos that DeLong and many others believe proved the existence of UFOs were shot off the coast of Florida in 2015 by Navy fighter jets from the nuclear aircraft carrier, the USS Theodore Roosevelt. The videos show unidentified objects rotating in the air perpendicular to the ground, and then speeding off. The first was the gimbal incident. In the video, the strange objects in the sky appear to rotate and accelerate. Oh my gosh, one pilot says. They're all going against the wind. The the wind is going 125 miles an hour to the west. Oh, look at that thing, dude. It's rotating. The way the craft rotates should cause it to drop down in altitude, but at no point does the craft lose height. Yeah, the voices on these are, they're very shocked. (laughs) what they're seeing i imagine and even in the nimitz one when they finally get it locked down and and they're taking the infrared video i mean they're it's clear that they have no idea what they're looking at they're just like holy shit whoa look at this thing go it's 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 Mm -hmm. look how fast it's going they're i mean they're excited it sounds like if you know kids discover porn for the first time (laughs) and they're just like oh my god look at those this exists? Nobody ever told us. I've never seen that much of a butt before. Yeah, butt. <laughs> <laughs> what all kids look at porn for, the butt. That's just straight for the butt. <laughs> the objects were spotted at 30,000 feet, down to 20,000, and all the way down to the ocean surface, before accelerating to near hypersonic speeds. Lieutenant Graves, a former member of the U.S. Navy Strike Fighter Squadron, the Red Rippers, told the History Channel show Unidentified, that his fellow pilots saw three different types of UFO shapes in 2015. Well, if I had to choose a team to be on, I would for sure choose one that's a strike fighter squadron and called the Red Rippers. That's so cool. First of all, that should be your YouTube channel name if you're videoing your infrared farts is Red Rippers. (laughs) If it's not, then you, what are you even doing? Quit. Quit YouTube forever. <laughs> hey, guys, we're here. It's Red Rippers. We'll check it out. We're, we're here at the mall checking out some people's khakis and seeing what's coming out the back. Oh, do they the do back- it to do they, the videos are of other people? Um, there's, there's a smorgasbord of them. There's so they just have, they're filming people's butts without consent and just hoping they fart <laughs> and they catch something. Could, would you recognize your butt fart if I would recognize my, infrared? yes, I would. They're very distinct, first of all. <laughs> They smell like roses and they just go, when they come out, they sound like uh, bells jingling, like a fairy has entered the room. <laughs> Mine sounds like a Victorian lady sighing. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Buffy has been ripping some nasty ones and oh, she'll, she'll be laying down, she'll fart, and then she stands up, 
walks to where it was, clearly smelling it, and then leaves the room. And we're like, you can't do that, man. That's fucked up. Dude, Biddy. We have to sit here. Biddy was ripping him last night when I was on the couch. And I was like, God, dude, get up. It's it was, bad news. I don't know. what he, All they eat is dog food. I'm like, you eat the same stuff every day. Why do you smell like this? She gets she gets wild and eats grass, and it makes her gassy. Oh, yeah. Gassy, the grassy makes her gassy. Grassy, gassy. Mm-hmm. Well, Lieutenant Danny Acoin, another former Red Ripper, also trained with Lieutenant Graves in preparation of deployment to the Middle East. When the men initially encountered the objects on radar, Acoin chalked it up to possibly radar interference. But he says, after multiple encounters of the same thing across various systems, he took the object seriously. According to witnesses, the object had no distinct wings, no distinct tail, and behaved as if they were aware of the presence of the fighter jets based on how they interacted. It's kind of like with uh, Fravor is like when he got nose to nose with it, that's when it flew off. It's like they they recognize that they're being like seen or followed. Yeah. Like anything being hunted. Mm-hmm. Is it hunting you or are you hunting yeah, it? That's the question always. The second video, known as the Go Fast video, was shot several weeks after the gimbal incident, also by members of the Red Ripper Squadron. A pilot could be heard saying, What the fuck is that thing? A voice is also heard saying, There's a whole fleet of them. Skeptics point out that the voices on both videos match, leading some to speculate that the audio was added after the fact. However, Lieutenant Aquain and Graves said they both recognized the voices as their fellow squadron members. Yeah, it would be like if you were listening to a, a tape of a coworker or like a close friend. They're like, we spent like every day at these people's at, with at, with these people at work. They've been to our house. I've been to their house. They're so, like, I know their voices yeah. and it's not fake. And when it's it's kind of garbled in that audio mm-hmm. all the time anyways. And there's wind and all sorts of noises up there. So in- loud as engines. It's not like uh, the most pristine audio that you could listen to. The commander of the Roosevelt strike group at the time of the videos was Admiral Lewis. Lieutenant Graves was in the room when the Admiral watched the video on the lower decks of the USS Roosevelt. According to Graves, the Admiral walked in the room, looked at the video for about five seconds, said, huh, and walked out. You know what? <laughs> I mean, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, I, to me, that seems like an honest response. Would you rather have him go, huh, or would you rather have him go, not again. <laughs> yeah. Or, oh, God, they're back. Exactly. <laughs> you sons of bitches. I thought I took care of you 20 years ago. You're like, oh, shit, Admiral Lewis has seen some stuff, Which is man. probably what he said as soon as he walked out of the room. He was like, huh. And internally, he's like, oh, my God, they came back. They said they would. They made good on their promise. And then he goes out and just walks into a field and he's taken. Did anyone ever see him again? No. He's he beamed up. up. Yep. Lieutenant Graves' squadron filed a report to the Naval Aviation Safety Office following the incidents, but Lieutenant Graves claims nothing came from the report. There were, however, congressional briefings from the Naval Intelligence officials on the incidents, with an eye toward protecting the Navy's aviators. In 2019, President Trump was briefed on the incidents and quoted as saying, I did have one very brief meeting on it, but people are saying they're seeing UFOs. Do I believe it? (laughs) Not particularly. Well, there you have it. Yeah, well then, I mean, his word is gold, so that's... <laughs> Aliens. Uh, we can end this, this episode now. Lieutenant Graves was invited to a closed-door meeting with congressional members and officials from the Defense Department. Graves seemed positive after the interview, telling the unidentified show, 
They did seem concerned that there was an issue. It's extremely frustrating whether this is some type of red air threat or something else. If we're not curious, then what are we? That's a good point, though. Yeah. I mean, if it's when you're like, we saw something, even if it wasn't an alien, was it Russia? Was it China? Was it North Korea? Like, you want to know what it is. What? Well, I think some people know what it is. But yeah. for argument's sake, if everyone's like, we don't know what this is, how do you find out what it is? You got to send up bait planes. I mean, like... You, you're not going to be able to find out if it's from another country. That shit's Mm-mm. on lockdown. Like, well, you get big net. You get a big <laughs> You got to go to Planet Tic Tac. Get a giant, get a giant ass plastic neck. Box. Just wait up there. But I mean, you're kind or of. Or you a- get a big mouth flies right into oh, the mouth. Oh, yeah. You're at the mercy of these things, though. Because. Yeah. They just show up whenever. Yeah. It's like close encounters of the third kind. You just got to wait for them to contact you. And then you got to be ready. Always be ready. Exactly. Prepare yourself to be taken. When faced with the strange rotational way the craft flew, Ross Amer, an aviation consultant interviewed on Unidentified, said, With all the expertise I have, I can't figure it out. Lieutenant Colonel Cook, a self-proclaimed skeptic, told Unidentified regarding both the USS Roosevelt and the Nimitz videos. I have never seen anything remotely like what I have seen today. And both of those guys, Ross Amer, I think, was a... Uh, commercial um, pilot, and then C- Lieutenant Colonel Cook was a like career military pilot, and they brought them in again because Lou um, Elizondo and Tom DeLonge are very much like we want to figure out every possible real thing that we already know about that this could be. And the two guys are like, "Yeah, aliens are bullshit," and they come in and they're like, "Well, that's not an airplane." Yeah, and that's great because I mean these are highly decorated, respected military pilots that Mm -hmm. if they don't have any answers and they've probably seen everything there is to see then that's a huge check mark off your list Mm -hmm. it takes i don't know if you guys know this it takes a lot of work to become a pilot they don't really let anybody up there you know it's as they shouldn't i I would hope that they don't well it's not only from a very very baby pilot stage of like ground school and then you're doing flights with someone else with you i mean you're doing that hundreds and, and then sometimes thousands and thousands of hours of flights, especially by the time you've been doing it 30 or 40 years and you've been in every type of plane and you're aware of every type of plane. It's like they would know if they if unless it's just a super secret military thing. Yeah. Fravor was part of like the Black Ace Squadron, which was a highly I mean, they were like the best of the best. He was a top literal top gun pilot. Mm-hmm. He graduated like in the top of his class and everything. So these are people that are and i i like that they're skeptics too because if you get elizondo and delong who are believers to look at something that's a very like biased way of looking at something but then you get skeptics in and they say oh we can't explain this either then that Mm -hmm. adds a lot more weight to your argument yeah a lot of credence and also they're not just letting like a guy like commander fravor he's flying a probably 70 million dollar jet yeah like, the military's not letting a, a, a Yahoo, a young kid, jumping in one of right. those. Like, this is a guy that knows what the hell he's doing. Yep. Once the three videos were released by the New York Times and the To the Stars Academy, the public's curiosity and demand for answers skyrocketed, propelling the U.S. government to conduct further investigations. In September of 2019, the U.S. Navy released their findings, in which they refer to the objects as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. 
For DeLong and other UFO enthusiasts, this was somewhat of a landmark victory. Prior to these statements, the government has classically explained away any unusual flying objects in the sky as drones or weather balloons. On April 27, 2020, the Pentagon confirmed the veracity of the three videos and released official versions. The government explained the cause for its delay by saying that they first had to ensure that the videos contained no classified information. Pentagon spokesperson Sue Goff told the Washington Examiner, After a thorough review, the Department of Defense has determined that the authorized release of these unclassified videos does not reveal any sensitive capabilities or systems and does not impinge on any subsequent investigations of military space incursions by unidentified aerial phenomena. What a, I mean, that's the, it's kind of a flimsy reason not to, I mean, I get it though. I mean, maybe if they were flying in jets that other enemies didn't know that we had or something, sure. and you could tell by the video that that's what it was, but the shit had been out. I mean, this has been out since 20, it's been three years yeah. that it's been out. Also, I don't think they would have really, I mean, it's out there, right? But like officially release these videos. If what was on there was some sort of secret military plane that even mm-hmm. these pilots didn't know about. Because while you can't really make out anything on the the videos, it's something. And who True. knows what people are capable of, like, deciphering and other countries can can get from that and stuff. So I don't know. That's where I get tripped up, where I'm like, well... I don't think the government would officially release the video if they legit thought it was aliens. I also Mm -hmm. don't think they would release something that showed technology that we don't want other people to see. So then my brain thinks, okay, they must have chalked this up to some sort of glitch or anomaly or just natural phenomena. And they're okay with the public seeing that because I can't imagine them being okay with the public seeing the other two things. Yeah. Or they just don't know about the aliens and they're like, we literally don't know what this is. Yeah. I mean, or, I guess if they know this isn't something in our in our military. Yeah. So maybe they did release videos of an actual alien. UFO. Uh, or if it's, you know, if it's unknown, it's either an alien or if it's another government's, they may think, well, if we release it, then we have eyeballs on it that could tell us, oh, no, no, that's actually a Russian, a new type of Russian jet that's coming to spy on your CSGs. That's true. The Pentagon also said they wanted to release the videos in order to clean up any misconceptions by the public or whether or not the footage has been circulating was real or whether or not there is more to these videos. Former Senate Majority Leader and member of ATIP, Harry Reid, who has been vocal about the Pentagon's need to release information on UFOs, said, I'm glad the Pentagon is finally releasing this footage, but... It only scratches the surface of research and materials available. The U.S. needs to take a serious scientific look at this and any potential national security implications. The American people deserve to be informed. I myself was taken up into a shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did butt stuff, just they, like all the uh, pornography. <laughs> they they cut him off after that <laughs> like, statement. Yeah, They're like, okay, Senator, Harry, we got it. We got it. Senator, Thanks, Harry. Please, please, <laughs> someone get him out of here. Well, although it was not until April 2020 that the government confirmed widely regarded videos of UFOs, the United States government has a long history of interacting with and documenting unidentified aerial phenomenon. Early reports were from pilots in World War II. In UFOs and the Government, a Historical Inquiry, authors Michael Swords and Robert Powell document the various sightings of so-called Foo Fighters by pilots in the 1940s. 
The collected reports document similar imagery, balls of light, sometimes transparent or metallic, paired or in a string formation, following the planes or maintaining pace, glowing yellow or red. Pilots called them Foo Fighters, a word taken from the cartoon strip Smokey Stover, whose catchphrase was, Where there's a foo, there's a fire. I'm assuming this is why the band Foo Fighters is named Foo Fighters, I, too. I can imagine. that's It's a really cool band name. It is. Also, great band. And Red Rippers, also a great band. <laughs> yeah. Smokey Stover, never heard of that cartoon strip ever. Nope. Gonna, nope. Gonna have to look that up. I remember being a kid and knowing the stuff that I knew. You know what I mean? Like, you know the shows that you like to watch and then the CDs or music or whatever that you know. And then finding my parents' record collection. And I was like, what the fuck is a Fleetwood Mac? Oh. And then thinking, I was like, oh, God, I only know things from like 1986 and on. And then realizing just the vast amount of entertainment that's been created since forever, since we could write. Yeah. And you just realize like, oh, I don't know shit. One, one of my favorite bands is Fleetwood Mac. Two, I was kind of brought up on that t- on that music. Mm-hmm. Like I listened to my own music of my generation too, but my dad was all classic rock. So that's kind of mm-hmm. what I grew up listening to. So Same. I've always preferred that. Even now I still mm-hmm. prefer um, classic rock and everything. Well, that's what I was like, what, what is the Beatles? Mom's like, oh, it's like a band from the sixties. I was like, can I listen to it? And then I got obsessed with the Beatles. Oh yeah. And then I had the Eagles greatest hits and <laughs> same. Yeah. I, listened, I just wanted to be, do whatever my parents wanted to do. One of these sightings that occurred on November 27, 1944, is what earned the balls of light their name. This would mark the first official government records of Foo Fighter incidents. Two pilots in the 415th Night Fighter Squadron in the European Theater, Donald J. Myers and Ed Schluter, had earlier seen a red light, or ball of fire, that seemed to chase the two as they zipped around, completing several high-speed maneuvers. In the debriefing meeting after the incident, Myers slammed down a copy of the comic strip onto a desk and shouted, It was another one of those fucking Foo Fighters! Before leaving the briefing room in a huff. Okay, I have a question. Was yeah. he in this debriefing meeting with the comics? I just never go re- anywhere. I don't go anywhere without my Smokey Stover. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> He's just sitting there reading the comics. They're all having this like high-ranking meeting and he just out of nowhere <laughs> slams it down he's been listening the whole time no one would have known though because it seemed like he was drilling to dilbert <laughs> do you like the comics did you read those as a kid i religiously read comic strips as a kid i loved the I comics loved peanuts i loved um actually later on pearls before swine i really liked them i was a big fan of hagger the horrible yeah like Taggart the Horrible, I'll tell you what, Family Circus can fuck itself, though. I've never understood <laughs> that at all. Also, the one that's, like, really political, where their noses are real sharp. Wow. Oh, what's oh, that one called? Oh, I can't remember, but yeah, I don't remember the name of it. But That I one I'd about. always be like, what is this doing in here? This the bit. funny, we called them the funny papers. The funny papers, yeah. Ziggy. Oh, I loved Ziggy oh, yeah. so much. The, oh, man. That was, those were the days, Do man. they still Especially. have those? I don't, we don't get a paper. I don't, I don't get any paper. I, I, they have to. I imagine they still do. I assume, yeah. Well, after the war and several post-war sightings, the Air Force then began a study on UFO sightings, which included more than 12,000 claims of UFOs, according to the New York Times. Several government programs came and went throughout the decades, and eventually led to the creation of the ATIP program. 
So this is not a new thing. The government no. has been, which as it should be concerned, because like we said, you don't know, it's a threat. You don't know if it's from outside the country or outside the planet. Absolutely. Well, if these mysterious orbs in the sky aren't futuristic spacecrafts manned by intergalactic beings, then what are they? Well, experts have several theories. Lou Elizondo and the current COO for the Two the Stars Academy, Steve Justice, believe that the objects could be U.S. military test aircraft. The pilots who encounter them are simply uninformed of the test and react accordingly. Military professionals disagree with this explanation, however, stating that for safety reasons, no drones would be sent into the area without first informing the pilots to avoid any near misses or direct hits and to protect the pilot's safety. Yeah, for all they know, what if they had a, uh, they was an armed jet, they would just shoot it down. <laughs> yeah, I can see both sides of this. I can see that it would, because I think even if you're a super high-ranking military official like Fravor, there's still shit you don't know about and technology and th- stuff that's going on that you're not privy to. So I could see that. I would think maybe if that is the case, that it was just an oopsie-daisy. And they're mm-hmm. like, they got oh, shit, we forgot to tell you guys we're doing some drone stuff over off the coast of San Diego here. And, and they, yeah, I don't know. But if they'd been seeing them for two weeks, you'd think at some point there would have been some communication like, guys, we can see what you're doing. And everyone has a lot of questions. So could you you're- pull off until we're out of here? Especially there's like 7,500 people in this the CSG formation. You're like, we have some new recruits and they're <laughs> freaking out. Yeah. They want They want to go home. Yeah, so... I don't know. I can see both sides of that. Steve Justice is also concerned that the incredibly enhanced technology that we see in UFOs is actually advanced technology from an adversarial country. Justice spent three decades at Lockheed Martin in its Skunk Works Group, responsible for designing the U.S. military's most elite aircraft. Justice pointed out that all three incidents, the Nimitz, Gimbal, and GoFast, all occurred near carrier strike groups, or CSGs. The CSGs here were preparing for deployment, using communications that could possibly be accessed by foreign adversaries to spy on the U.S. military. Justice's greatest fear is that an adversary did figure out military technology, and those UFO incidents were actual reconnaissance missions to steal U.S. military intelligence. Which makes sense, because he was like, if they're flying that close, they would be able to hear radio communication, because... Also, the CSGs think there's nothing around that we don't see, you know, a, what do they call a real world vector? Like we don't see an actual threat. So we'll just speak freely on the radios knowing no one's at 30,000 feet. No one's going to hear us. Well, what if that is a Russia TikTok? Right. Yep, exactly. I can I can see that, too. The only thing that I get hung up on is. And maybe this is just me being ignorant and naive. It's hard to imagine that something that advanced exists in another country that no one here has been able to scratch the surface on figuring out or recreating or you know what I mean? Like there's or only even so much shit in the world. So for, and like it wouldn't like it would have leaked, you know what yeah. I mean? Like because even like people come from all over the world to study it like. MIT and Caltech and Harvard and Stanford and all that stuff. So I feel like if there was an inkling of something like that, even if it wasn't an an adversarial country, like human beings still connect to each other. So Mm -hmm. somehow it would leak, I think. I think so, too. Kyle Mizakami, a writer on defense and security issues, believes one of the explanations for the sightings can be chalked up to the pilot's equipment malfunctioning and that they misinterpreted the natural phenomenon they witnessed. 
A lot of people think that the water breaking that they saw with the Nimitz was a submarine submerging, mm. which would make sense because that is what it would look like if there was a large object underneath. So then what was the Tic Tac? Or a giant Tic Tac. Oh, what was but, the Tic Tac? They think a yeah. drone. Oh, so it was like a the submarine launched a drone and then sucked away under the ocean? Possibly, yeah. Or maybe Damn. the drone was checking on the submarine. I don't know. I guess it would make more sense if the submarine, which just sidebar, submarines are crazy. They freak me out so much. They're I was just terrifying. thinking, as you were talking and you're like, oh, the submarine went under the ocean. I just thought the ocean is so vast. Yep. Think of all the submarines that are in there and the ones that maybe we don't. Even, I mean, there's radar and stuff. So nowadays, hopefully we'd see it. But even like way back in way back when it was crazy how close submarines from, you know, foreign adversarial submarines could get. Yeah, it's Man. submarines are anyone that has go that that's what they do. Hats off because being confined in a submarine under thousands of feet of water I can't makes imagine. Want to throw up. Yeah, that that makes me. I'm sweating sitting here thinking yeah. about it. I mean, I, I've talked before how the ocean and space are both like the same thing to me, and they're terrifying and fascinating. And that's basically what we're dealing with here: shit coming down from space, and then shit coming up from the ocean. Maybe they're having a meeting. Maybe it was yeah. the aliens, and then things from under the water, ali- underwater aliens, and we just happened upon it. There's a freaking wormhole in the Mariana Trench. Yep. Who knows? I who don't know knows? who even knows. It, but I like to breathe. I mean, everybody kind of does. Sure. But like, uh, I mean, some people, you know, a little, you know, it's part of the sex thing. But I personally, because my asthma, too, and my, like, shitty lungs, like, the idea of not being able to walk out of doors and just go, like, and take a fresh breath just yeah. makes me so nauseated to think about. That and not being able to leave a situation until... A finite amount of time you know it's not like i'm done with this I'm, i now want to walk off of the submarine it's like no you're down here for months until yeah, this mission is over nowhere yeah and like this recycled air and so you know people have smelly feet and farts not to talk oh, about yeah. it that much but it's just the thought of like having not fresh air makes me just so nervous it's i mean it's equivalent to an airplane but i feel like the airplane at least you're in the air so it's like sucking air in but well, so an airplane, you're going from point A to point B within a few hours, usually. And you know you're going to get off. Yeah. 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 Submarines are, that's my tangent on submarines there. But I Spooky. I do think that it makes sense that it could have risen to the surface, launched something. And sucked and back down. And then gone back down. Yeah. Or perhaps they really are aliens. Because the UFOs include multiple types of technology that humans have not yet integrated into one single machine. Elizondo and Justice believe that must leave open the possibility that the technology is not of this world. In fact, when asked by the Washington Post in 2017 what he believes he saw, Commander Fravor said he believes it was something not from this earth. So what do we think? Me. Well, I definitely think that the U.S. government should investigate it because it's it's just like if you find something in your backyard and you're like, well, it's not a grenade, so whatever. It's like, well, what the hell is this and how did it get here? What yeah. did they say? That's their top two questions. What is it and how does it work? Yep. And my third question is how did it get here? So I think there should be some concern at the government level because of is it an adversary listening to our radio communications? And if so, they have some badass technology that they're leaps light years ahead of us. Yep. 
Or if it's an alien, is it some kind of threat? Yeah, I'm torn on this. It's I've been going back and forth like, what does my gut tell me on this? And I think my gut says it's military related. Mm. But then I get tripped up because I can't explain why they would allow the videos to be released if it was from our own government. Yeah, I think it's something it's either foreign, like a foreign country or from another planet. I hope it's from another planet. Yeah. My thing, though, is if it's from another planet and all of these are, what are they coming here to get? Is That's it what you just gotta worry about data, technology, uh, uh, observation of human life? I guess that is what you have to worry about. And the fact that they won't engage when happened upon, it makes you think, are they here to harm us? But then it's like, if they were here to harm us, wouldn't they shoot those pilots down? Yeah. Oh, and my other thing is, if they're that smart and stealthy, they wouldn't have gotten caught. You know, not that they got trapped, Sick but I mean, they, on the aliens, idiots, <laughs> fucking stupid aliens, fucking fly faster, you dumbasses. But seriously, like, if it was such a, I mean, their technology's advanced, but it's clearly fallible because it was spotted. If it's yeah. supposed to be, you know, invisibility cloaking or whatever, it they were seen. And you would think that you wouldn't do it in the middle of the day. Close to where these CSGs are happening, which I kind of agree with the thought of maybe this is from another country because they all do happen around these CSG things, which Mm -hmm. wouldn't you, if you're trying to like do a reconnaissance mission, that seems like you'd get a ton of information in something like that. True. Or is it just because it's like the, what is it? Correlation doesn't mean causation. Like maybe the CSGs have had the equipment to see these things. Mm. Like they have the massive amounts of radar on board of the destroyers and then they have the jets to fly up and see them versus if you're some dude on a yacht somewhere and you're flying around, you would, or zipping around on your yacht, you wouldn't see it necessarily. Or in a cornfield. Yeah. You're just hanging out. That's Doing true. Corn stuff. Correlation yeah. doesn't equal causation. Good point. Well, I don't know. I don't have a. I don't have a. This is what I think because I think a bunch of things. So yeah, I just I want to I want to believe, but I do think it's something foreign. I don't think it's the government, and I don't think it was equipment malfunction. Because if you are all so inclined, uh, I'm going to tell you about a little podcast. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called the Joe Rogan Experience. I don't know if you've listened to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love Fear Factor. I love Joe Rogan on Fear Factor. Did Um, you? Man, that show, I watched it, but I was so grossed out by the stuff they would eat that I was like, I don't understand how any, or even getting in a coffin and having a bunch of rats dumped on you. I was Mm -hmm. like, how is anybody doing this? There's not enough money in the world to make me Mm -hmm. do this. I just liked him. I I think I had a little little crush on him. He was a cutie patootie. Yeah. And he, um, so anyhow, so if you are so inclined to watch the interview, I think watching uh, Commander Fravor's interview on that and anytime he's been interviewed by the History Channel and everybody else, watching him be interviewed, he this is a sincere person who is sincerely saw what he saw and 100% believes it. I don't think and he's the, the type of person that he basically told Joe Rogan, I wasn't going to do your podcast. I'm not going to talk to anybody. But his, I guess, what do you say? His sister-in-law was his, like, oh my. One of his friend's wives was like, you've got to right. do Rogan. He's the number one podcast in the world, which is yeah, true. Yeah, and 
No, yeah. And so he was like, okay, well, this is for you, you know, whatever her name is. And so he wasn't just out to like get fortune and fame. It's not like he wrote a book about it and is out promoting his book. Like this is a person who is taking the risk of talking about this at great personal risk. You know, it's like it's detriment. It's detrimental to his career and his reputation and that he's built up over decades. And so it's a person who feels compelled to speak out, not for any gain. Right. So it's like, what are you going? Why are you doing this? It's like, I'm doing this because I believe it. He said his family didn't even know that Mm -hmm. he only told them because the New York Times article was about to come out. And he was like, heads up, this article is about to come out. I'm interviewed in it. Uh, I saw a UFO, and that's when his mother was always like, I knew it. <laughs> but also, he has since retired from the Navy, so that's why he's able to speak out about this. The wingman, which was the one that was 20,000 feet above or whatever that had the God's eye view, she's now a high-ranking official in the mm-hmm. Navy. And she only spoke with the New York Times based uh, contingent upon anonymity because she's afraid of what it could do to her career. Mm-hmm. And her, But she said... She told them, I was terrified. You know, I'm watching my senior commander try to figure out what to do with this thing. And then I think, how are we supposed to fight this? We don't have any weapons. What is this thing? How do you fight something that you don't know what it is? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everyone that saw it that day, because they've all since been, well, men in suits didn't come to the aircraft carrier and interview them then and everything. He said everyone has since been interviewed. And they all said that they saw this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't yeah, so, like some were like, nah, this is a bunch of bullshit. Or like, uh, it was just the radar malfunction. It was like, you're seeing what we see is the video from the system. What they saw was with their eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that then again, we know that like, people aren't the best um, witnesses to things. So True. did you see something? To- and then over the course of time, it morphs into something else. Because they also said that when Fravor got back, like on to the Nimitz, he was like, holy shit, guys, we can't explain what we just saw. But a lot of people that were there were like, okay, whatever, and kind of made fun of him and were playing like alien movies all night and stuff, which made him kind of think, well, maybe some people know something I don't about what's going on mm. out here. So I don't know. Who knows? But I was trying to think 2,000 feet because he was kind of eye to eye with it. And I'm the times I have flown and it's like a private aircraft I've flown two to 3,000 feet, like, above my childhood home or whatever, and, like, I recognize my house. Like, it's not... it's 2,000 feet's, like, pretty far, but it's not far enough to... I mean, and you have... To be a pilot, you have to have perfect vision. You don't... It's not like, I forgot my glasses that day. Mm -hmm. So, you can see reasonably well if the conditions are right. You know, if it's clear conditions, you can see pretty far with the naked eye. And he said it was a perfect San Diego day, so... Look at that. Well, let us know what you guys think. Was this aliens? Was it another country was it a giant tic tac from planet <laughs> tic tac which that's my hope if it's if there's giant tic tacs that leaves me hope that there are also like giant skittles and giant Ooh, starburst hell yeah that's oh. what i hope space is it's just big ass candy <laughs> that could be all the planets are like milk duds and oh. i mean milky way hello that's got to be out there we just discovered i think we're onto something <laughs> Well, we love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation, creating this show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. 
as a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and Patreon-exclusive audio and video content, like our weekly mix bags where we share three of our favorite things of the week. For more details on specific membership tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner to join today. Our newest uh, mini-sode we just released was a fun one about Miss Cleo. Oh, man. Uh, our tried and true. We love Miss Cleo. So that was a fun one. It was interesting to dive deep dive into her life and then the the lawsuits that uh, yes. surrounded. Angel learned some interesting personal things about me. Listen <laughs> to that show. It's <laughs> a good one. Well, make sure you stick around after our sign offs to hear your shout out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop in the top right corner. And our most recent design by Day Off or Jude Sutton is the new Donna Laser and the Meat Warlocks t-shirt, which is probably uh, that and Christine Burchett's are my favorite shirts that we have. I wear oh, them sure. pretty, I pretty much just alternate between those two shirts every day. Yes, our um, the, both of them are very soft and I just, I'm going to wear the shirt of the band I'm in. I'm not ashamed. No, not at all. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you on the computer? I'm on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather? I am on Twitter at MCK versus the world and on Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Katie Maddox. Michaela P. Amy Anderson Piquel. Alex, Heather Smith, Stephanie DePizzo, Emma F., Kelly Woodlarzik, Virginia Harness, Brennan Williams, Aline Spear, Bree, Brittany Miller, Sharon Jenner, Megan Nuts, Brittany Petrie, Kyle Rankin, Taryn Cooksey, Morgan Jimenez, Nicole Foster, Jessica Simonson, Alish Harris, Katie Prush, Audra Doubler, Kay Wren, Katie McCamish, Haley Falana, Abby Williams, Daisy Martinez, Colleen Elizabeth, Jackie Haynes, and Lexi Vivian. Thank you so much for supporting our show, you guys. We could not do this without you. We appreciate you so much. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Mwahaha. Sinister. Food.